This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. We're in the bottom of page 210. We're in the middle of letter number 12. And he's discussing the idea of peace. Peace above and peace below. So last week we discussed the idea of peace below. How could there be peace below when we're in conflict? They're enemies, good and evil. You can't make peace. How do you make peace with evil? You can't live in peace with evil. It's not a good thing. You know, when you surrender to evil and you make peace with it and you accommodate it and you decide to live with it, this is what, go, what passes for modern diplomacy. This has become our country's diplomacy, which is, has lead, led to the, the worst disaster. There's never been more conflict, greater conflict. It has only exacerbated every conflict to the extreme because when you make peace with negativity and you make peace with evil, that doesn't lead to peace. It only exacerbates the conflicts. How, could, how, could, how do you make peace with evil? The only way you can make peace with evil is when you vanquish evil, when you destroy evil, when you defeat evil, when the evil is completely, completely negated, when you separate the good and you take, you unplug the evil, you disconnect it, you extract anything that's good and you separate the good from the evil. And that's our mission in life. Our mission in life is to clarify and to distinguish and to extract the good from the evil. And then the evil just, the evil just dissipates because evil has no life of its own. It's like a bloodsucker. It only, it's only if we feed it life. But if we stand up to evil and we identify evil and we, and we extract the good from the evil, then the evil has no power. Evil has no strength, has no life of its own. So when will this happen? This will happen. When Mashiach will come. When there will be this intense revelation of godliness, which will connect, all the holy sparks will connect with Hashem, and then the evil will just disappear. Because evil will, won't have any sustenance left, won't have any life left. So this is on a global scale, a cosmic scale. But now, this week he's going to discuss that we are the microcosm. So whatever happens on a global scale also happens on a, on, a, on a personal level. So how do we find peace? When do we find peace? How can we find inner peace? How can we reconcile the conflict, the constant tension, and the constant conflict between the good within us that's pulling us upwards, and the negative within us, the evil within us, that's pushing us downwards. That's like a force of gravity that's schlepping us down. So how can we reconcile, how can we discover peace, 
create peace within us, make peace within us, within ourselves. That's the most difficult thing. It's easier to make peace between East and West, between the Ukrainian rebels and the <laughs> Ukraine, than it is to make peace within ourselves. We're like torn apart, we're like conflicted, we're, we have two parts within us. We have the soul, we have the body, we have the ego, we have faith, we have the mind. It's, 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 we're torn. We're pulled in so many directions, opposite directions. One part is pulling us into, you know, just have fun, feel so good. Of course, it's, there's nothing there. It's just a, it's a dead end. It's empty. It, it doesn't satisfy you. It doesn't nourish you. The more you indulge, the hungrier you get. The less you have, the more you indulge, the less you have. But we're pulled in that direction. Junk food, junk lifestyle. The junkier the food, the tastier it is. The junkier the lifestyle, the more attractive it is. But it's, that's all it is. It's junk. It's, there's nothing there. Versus the godly soul, which is pushing us. Wholesome. Organic. Healthy. Nourishing. Nurturing. Real nourishment. Real food. Real healthy, wholesome lifestyle and experiences and meaningful and connected and purposeful and filled with reality and substance and enduring versus instantly forgettable life, you know, it's like it may taste good for the moment, it's like chewing gum it's good for the moment and you spit it out and it keeps it last less and less the attention span gets shorter and the, the pleasure also gets shorter and shorter because there's nothing there. But we're pulled in all directions. We're like torn apart. We're almost like a split personality. It's so much more difficult to create inner peace. How do we create inner peace and inner harmony? We should be in one, at, in one page. We should be on the same page. We should, every part of us should be on the same page. We should all be pulling in the same direction. Instead of torn apart and doing one thing and eating myself up in the inside and it eats away at me and I feel guilty and I feel terrible. It just creates tension, which can also lead to physical illness. Illnesses are psychosomatic. When internally you're not happy inside, you're internally you're depressed, or internally you're not settled, you're not united and harmonious, your life is not harmonious and it's not balanced and it's not connected. It eats away at you inside. The more sensitive your soul, the more, the more delicate your soul, the more the toll it will take. And it can physically affect your immune system, physically affect your physical health. So, how do you create inner peace? And the time for inner peace is prayer. That's the real meaning of prayer. Prayer is not just the time to pray for your needs. Even if you had a long laundry list of needs, how long could it take? Five minutes. What do you need, an hour to pray? What do you need so much time to pray? What's, uh... And yet we spend every morning, we spend, before we, we start our day, we spend time praying. Praying is a time to center yourself, to be focused, to connect, to, to become balanced, to create that inner peace. Because at least during prayer, we truly pray, not just mouth the words or fill our obligations or just do it mechanically or by rote, as most people pray and looking at the watch and really get into the prayer, enter into the words of prayer. As the Baal Shem Tov said, go into the ark, 
means go into the words of prayer, enter it with every fiber of your being and pray and, and mean it and feel it and experience it. And then at least during those moments, he says you're free. You're free from that struggle. During prayer, at least consciously, you put, you put your ego to bed. You give it an anesthesia. So it doesn't bother you. you, know, you, you, you in other words, during prayer, not only, you're not even tempted to do something wrong. At least during prayer, you fill your mind, you fill your heart, you're conscious with Hashem, you're conscious of godliness. And therefore, when there's light, there's no room for darkness. At least for a few moments, you're free from the struggle. And we need that freedom because if we can't find peace within ourselves, at least a few moments a day, you know, you burn out. You know, we're not machines. You're constantly battling and fighting and struggling. It's non-stop, you know, you, you, it wears you down. Where do you have the strength? You need the, the energy and the strength to be able to fight. But if you're constantly fighting, you never get a break. You're just going to collapse. You just can't. So during prayer, you get a little break. You get a little vacation. You get a little recess. You get a little... During prayer, you can free yourself from the struggle. At least during prayer, you fill your mind, your heart. You're connecting with Hashem. You're conscious of Hashem. You're conscious of godliness. You're attracted to godliness. You experience godliness. That's what you love. That's what during prayer you can experience the love for Hashem, the feeling, the attraction to godliness. At that moment, you're not attracted to anything material. It doesn't interest you. It's anything coarse, crass, it doesn't even tempt you. Because you sense what's real. Reality is Hashem. There is no other reality but Hashem. So you sense Hashem is the soul of the world, Hashem is the reality, and Hashem is the inner. And you connect with it, you experience it, you get a taste of it, you get a glimpse of it. So it elevates you. So at least during prayer, you're free from the struggle. Or, you could also are free from the struggle when you study Torah for God's name, for God's sake, the Shema. When you're studying Torah, and you're studying Torah to connect with Hashem, not just as an intellectual exercise like playing math, uh, like playing chess or studying math or science or physics, not just an in, as an intellectual exercise, but you're studying Torah because you sense that Torah is holy, it's godly, it's Hashem's mind. You're connecting with the infinite. Every word and every letter in the Torah contains the infinite. So when you study Torah with holiness, with a sense of Hashem's presence and awareness of Hashem, that itself illuminates your soul and brings light to your soul, and therefore it also brings peace to your soul. Because when you bring light, there's no room for darkness. So then it puts, it anesthetizes, it, it puts your Yetzirah, your evil inclination, your ego, your natural soul, it puts it to sleep. It won't bother you. Of Jews studying Torah, Lishma, it, it won't bother you. It, it will elevate you. But then this letter he's going to say, he's going to focus on, he says, and the other way to do this is by giving tzedakah. Through the act of giving tzedakah. When you give tzedakah, when you give charity, you give tzedakah, it draws down, just like you give to someone else, Hashem will also give you. It draws down a godly light into your soul. So during the time of prayer, when you pray properly, or when you study Torah with a proper intent, without no ego motivation. I'm not studying Torah to prove how brilliant I am. You're studying Torah for the right reasons. 
or when you give tzedakah, that brings the Hashem's light into your life, into your soul. And when your light is illuminated by, 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 the, by the godly light, when your soul is illuminated, the negativity, the darkness, the good is separated from the negative. The good is drawn, is elevated, and the negativity just falls by the wayside. It loses any strength, it loses any hold on you. And that's how you can achieve peace in your personal life. So he's giving us the formula. You want to achieve peace, and inner peace, inner joy, real peace. Peace is a divine name. Shalom is Hashem's name. It's divine. Real peace, not the cheap imitation. Diplomatic uh, photo ops and Oslo and peace processes. That's a false imitation. That's a cheap shell that's not even worth, uh, just leads to heartache and to conflict. But the, the genuine peace, which is divine, it comes from within. Just like if you want honor, real honor, versus fame, the cheap imitation. Or you want real joy versus the cheap imitation, fun, you know, quote unquote. The fun lasts for a minute and a half until it turns into not so much fun, to addictions and etc. Or to achieve real love versus just lust, eroticism, but real genuine love. These are all soul experiences. Only when you're connected with your soul could you really experience the real thing, the genuine thing. So how can we achieve genuine peace in our own personal soul, our own consciousness, our own personal lives? He says, this is the formula. Prayer, genuine prayer, Studying Torah for the Shema, for its own sake, for God's sake, just to connect with Hashem, and through by giving tzedakah, through giving tzedakah. But as regards terrestrial man, at every time of finding, every time for finding Hashem, meaning prayer, or at other times designated for secluding oneself with one's maker, Every individual in proportion to his deeds is granted a foretaste of this refinement by engaging in the study of Torah for his own sake. The divine revelation that permeates his soul enables him to refine and elevate the good from evil. The same is accomplished by means of charity. As it is related, our Elzar would give a coin to a poor man and then pray. When you pray, you want to connect with Hashem. You want to experience the divine revelation in, in your personal consciousness. The way to do that is by giving tzedakah. Before he prayed, he would go look for a poor person, give tzedakah, do an act of tzedakah, and that would enable him to have these intense spiritual experiences during prayer. There's a, there's a beautiful story with the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, the grandchild of the author of the Tanya, the Balatanya. And after his grandfather passed away, his grandfather would visit him many, very often. A soul visitation. And he would teach him, and he would answer all his questions. Because after studying Torah, he had a lot of questions, and he would reveal to him and answer all his questions. And once, a long time passed, and his grandfather did not reveal himself to him. And he was feeling terrible. He never had such a distancing like his grandfather's ignoring him, he's angry at him, he's not showing up, he's not appearing to him, what's going on? 
and he, he didn't, couldn't summon him. You know, we Jews don't summon the souls from the other world. They, they appear, they reveal themselves. So when he revealed himself, he was able to have a conversation with him and to talk and to fabrink together. But his grandfather was staying away. He felt terrible. One day, it was a regular day, and it was early in the morning. He was on the way to the synagogue. And uh, that day was a marketplace. Marketplace was once a week or twice a week when everyone would come from nearby and everyone would bring their wares and that's how, that's, that's how you made a living, you sold. So a Jew came over to the Tzamech Tzedek and asked for a loan. It's the marketplace today, he needs a few coins to be able to, to handle, to do some business. Tzamech Tzedek said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray now. Come to me after the prayer. I'm busy now, I'm... I'm early morning, I, I come, after I finish prayer, come and I'll give you a look. Samuel Tzedek went to the synagogue and he began preparing himself for prayer. And then he thought to himself, what did I just do? The marketplace, it's early morning. Maybe by the time I finish my prayer, Samuel Tzedek would take his time to pray. It wasn't like we pray, you know, one, two, three. By the time I'm done praying, the <laughs> market will be over. He'll lose his opportunity. So he immediately put down this talus, he put it down, ran to the street, looked for this Jew, and he handed him the, the few coins. Then when he came back to the shul and he put on his talus, the altar Rebbe appeared to him with a smile, radiating. So, by the act of tzedakah, he was able to draw down, he was able to have such an impact, it, it reverberates. Tzedakah is so powerful. It creates such implications, such, such a connection, it creates such a... It draws down the divine energy. So if you want to pray, you want to connect with Hashem, before you pray, Rabbi Lazar would make sure to go and find the poor person and help the poor person, because then Hashem will help us, because we are poor, spiritually poor, in comparison to Hashem. We all need this spiritual help and illumination and guidance. So if we help a poor person, Hashem will illuminate our soul, and then we'll have, be able to truly pray. And it's based on the verse. For it is written, through Sedek will I behold your countenance. The Hebrew Sedek literally means righteousness, but shares a common root with tzedakah, charity. By prefacing prayer with Sedek, one is granted during prayer a spiritual perception that penetrates to the innermost aspect of godliness, your countenance. For the word panim connotes both face and interior. The Hebrew word panim comes from the word, the face, comes from the word panimiyut. That's why your whole panimiyut is written on your face. Your face doesn't hide. You can't hide. <laughs> a person could be dressed in the finest, but if they're selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, coarse and crass, you can't hide it. It's written all over the face. A person is refined, idle. You can't hide it. You look at a face, the face tells the whole story. It's right there. It's all written right there. When, a, when, a, when there's beauty, especially by a Jew, when there's beauty, it's a reflection of the inner beauty. It's not just the external beauty. The, the external is a reflection of the inner. So when we say, I want to see Hashem, I want to see Hashem, I want to see the inside of Hashem, I want to see your face, I want to see, I want to connect with Hashem, not just superficially. I want to connect through prayer. Prayer is a time to connect with the face of Hashem, with the inner of Hashem. When I look at the face, what am I looking at? I'm looking at you. Your personality, it's all on your face. When I see your face, besides the face has all the, uh, the higher 
senses, as the eyes and the ears and the mouth, and, and the but the but also the mind, but the face. I'm looking at you, you're, the person. I want to see you. So my relationship to Hashem in prayer, I want to relate to Hashem not just superficially. God creates the world and that's it. I want to see Hashem. I want to connect with Hashem. I want to go a little deeper inside, have an inner connection. In order to do that, first you have to give tzedakah. You want to get to the inner side of the... You want to see Hashem in His inner chamber? You want to see the inside? A real connection with Hashem? Experience godliness? Help a poor person. Write the track. Help the poor person. And you'll see the, the wonders. It's magical. We help a poor person. We, we write tzedakah. We write a nice track. And all the heavenly doors open up. Hashem reveals Himself to us. He reveals His face to us. His innermost self with a smile. And that's what gives us peace. At that moment, when you have that revelation, when you see Hashem's face, when you have that revelation of elokut, of godliness, then Yetzirah is not troubling you. Your ego, at that moment, your ego is, and is pesticides, is put to bed, and you can experience a moment of inner peace. It doesn't last too long, but even a moment, even a taste, is precious. It relieves us and it gives us a tremendous strength, inspires us. When we do resume the conflict, at least we'll have the strength to be able to overcome the conflict. Because I've tasted what it's like to be at peace, inner peace. And then I can create peace in the rest of my life, in the rest of the day. How do I create peace the rest of the day and the rest of my life? Because even if it's a struggle, but if you do the right thing, it will bring peace. If you follow the code of Jewish law and you live a Jewish life and you think like a Jew and speak like a Jew and act like a Jew at all times, speak the truth and be honest and do the right thing and act kindly and do good and do the mitzvot and study Torah, it will bring peace. Because the animal soul could make peace with the godly soul. Not vice versa. <laughs> the godly soul can never make peace with the animal soul. The godly soul can't reconcile itself living an empty life, meaningless life. We throw your life away for nothing, for momentary pleasure, reducing life to emptiness, to darkness, to meaninglessness, to absolutely nothing. A total disconnect from reality, from truth, from Hashem. The godly soul just can't make peace with it. The godly soul is godly. It knows if it's not connected with anything godly, if it has no godly substance, there's nothing there. It's an empty bubble. There's nothing there. There's no joy. There's no happiness. There's nothing. It's just a mirage which quickly turns into a nightmare. There's no reality there. But the, God, the animal soul may have to go kicking and screaming because the animal soul doesn't want to do the right thing. To wake up early or run to shul and to daven and learn and do commit myself. It's commitment. It's difficult to do the right thing. It takes commitment and sacrifice and sometimes heroic sacrifice. But once you succeed in overcoming and you follow through with your commitment, the animal soul is very happy. It's a happy camper. Because, you know, it's a good life. Anyone who follows the Torah and lives a Jewish life, it's a wonderful life. <laughs> On all levels, not just spiritually, practically. 
it's wholesome. Could anyone have any argument against sitting Friday night and sitting and having a nice meal and shutting off the phone 24 hours? People pay thousands of dollars to go on a club med vacation. Imagine you have it free in Manhattan every week. It doesn't cost you a penny. Free on a silver platter. Are you kidding? This is a lifesaver. The pleasure that it gives you, the, the, the peace of mind, the, you're spending time with your loved ones and your community and... Anyone who lives a Jewish life and you're celebrating on sukkahs and dancing on Simchas Torah and, and cleansing your soul on Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah blowing the shofar and taking in the new year with a sense of awe and Pesach sitting and focusing on liberation and, and plugging into Jewish history and Jewish destiny and studying Torah and this brilliance and, and wisdom and 3,800 years and, and eternal wisdom and connecting and living a good life, a moral life, an ethical life. Anyone who lives a moral... No one regrets doing the right thing. <laughs> you sleep like a baby at night. It may have been difficult. But regret, it's wonderful. Not just wonderful spiritually. Practically, it's wonderful. It, it gives you nachas. gives you pleasure, joy. So the animal soul, not so bad. Every Shabbat, you get dressed up nicely, nice food. <laughs> Eat like a man, spend time with your loved ones. I, I have nothing, I can't find anything, I can't fault it, there's nothing wrong with it. You think of worse things. So, the animal soul could live in peace with it. But the godly soul can never make peace with evil, with negativity, with false, with, with, with superficiality. It can. It only exacerbate the, the tension, exacerbate the conflict. Maybe go underground, go into hiding, but the godly soul will rebel. The godly soul just can't, can't be at peace. That's why Jews are the most uh, troubled people on the face of the world. That's why Jews invented psychology. <laughs> most psychologists are Jews, and most of the patients are Jewish. Until <laughs> 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 this very day, you go into any university department, psychology department, Jew, 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 Jew. Because you, unless you live a Jewish life, unless the godly soul is in charge, you, you just, you're not happy. You're miserable, angry. So much anger. Jews carry so much anger. When was the last time you met a self-hating Irishman, self-hating Italian? Only Jews. So much anger, so much tension, so much self-hate. Where, where is this coming from? Because they're so Jewish. It wasn't tragic, it wasn't sad, it would be funny. As much as they tried to run away from their Jewishness, it just proved the point how Jewish they are, how abnormal they are. Because this godly soul that we have could never reconcile, can never make peace with this type of lifestyle. No matter how many, how many parades you march in, no matter how many banners you... It doesn't, the godly soul just won't never be happy, never be satisfied, can never make peace with it. So the only way to make peace is when the godly soul prevails. But it's a struggle. It's not easy. It takes commitment. Sometimes the animal soul comes along kicking and screaming. And then it's happy. But in order to achieve this, you have to have moments of inner peace. You have to have a few moments where you can experience, where you're not even troubled. You're completely at peace, you're one, you're unified, you're, every part of you is pulling in the same direction, you're on the same page. That you're tempted to do godly things. 
things. You're not even tempted to do it. Not only you don't do anything wrong, you're not even tempted to do something wrong. Because you see, you feel how empty it is, how meaningless it is, how superficial it is. You're not even drawn to it. How, how is that possible? During prayer. How do I reach that level? To see Hashem's face. To be drawn in and to connect with godliness in a very real, experiential way. By giving tzedakah. By helping a poor person. Literally helping a poor person. Someone said they gave, stopped, ran out of the shul, gave the poor person a few pennies, a few cupcakes, whatever he gave him. A few coins. He made his day. And suddenly all the heavenly gates were open to him. All the intense revelations that he was yearning for. And all his spiritual preparations did not, couldn't uh, achieve it. Giving that tzedakah opened up all the heavens. That's the power of tzedakah. This revelation during prayer is a manifest illumination and a fusion of knowledge and understanding. So what's this revelation that we feel? It's a revelation in our conscious minds. That our conscious minds should understand and it should lead to knowledge. Knowledge is more than just information. We have a lot of information. We're overloaded with information. But the information doesn't touch us, doesn't move us. The disc also has a lot of information. But the information doesn't change or transform that disk. Knowledge is when the fusion of information, understanding, and knowledge, it brings it, it, may, it personalizes it. Suddenly the information that we have inspires us. You know the difference when a person just reads out of curiosity? Or when you read, like your life depends on it. You know, Hasidut was called the Divrei Elokim Chaim. Divrei Elokim Chaim, which is the words of the living God, which is an expression that we find in the Talmud, the famous story with Hillel, contracted Yuma, that he, uh, he was so poor that he earned a dollar a day and 50 cents he would send home to feed his family, and the other 50 cents he would pay tuition to enter into the academy of Shmaya and Avtalion in Yerushalayim to study Torah. One Friday, it was, a very, it was a very slow day, and all he earned was 50 cents. He had to send it to his family. So they wouldn't let him into the academy. He couldn't pay the tuition. But he, he hungered. The Talmud says he had such a hunger to hear the words of Shmaya and Avtalion. He wanted to hear Divrei Elokim Chaim, the words of the living God. Shmaya and Avtalion at midnight, Friday at midnight, would teach the Kabbalah. The, the, the commentaries say, why does the Talmud use such a, a unique expression? It's referring to Friday night they would teach the Kabbalah. And Hillel had such a thirst that he climbed onto the roof. And he, without noticing, it was interesting, this past year when Jerusalem had the largest snowstorm in 100 years, was the day that the Daf Yoimi, they were studying this, this story in the Talmud. <laughs> Suddenly, this huge snowstorm. Hillel was so absorbed in listening to the Torah, he didn't even notice the storm. And he got buried by the snow. And in the morning, they're waiting for the light to come. So you can read the Shema, and it's dark, because his body blocked the skylight. And they looked up, and they realized, and they came, and they revived him. But he... Um, he was, had such a hunger, a thirst, he was so absorbed, he didn't even realize what happened. So, when you study Torah, when you study Hasidut, you're studying as if your life depends on it. This is more than just curiosity. I like information. I'm, a, I'm an intellectual. I have a brain, and I like information. You know, I, need, I need information. I like to learn about things. 
It's not just a, a detached curiosity. Knowledge is personal. My life depends on it. Then there's a keen hunger. Then you absorb every word. You personalize it. You internalize it. It's like, it's like fresh water on, on, a, your, on a parched soul. You, you're lost in the desert for three days and, and you can't drink enough of it. That's knowledge. Knowledge is more than just knowing information, interesting information. That goes in one ear, goes out the other ear. It doesn't mean anything. Knowledge is when it becomes meaningful. You connect with it. It's personal. That's what happens in prayer. That's the revelation. When you have a revelation of Godliness, suddenly it comes alive. All this information that you've learned and studied about Hashem, the greatness of Hashem, and Hashem is infinite, and Hashem is holy and transcendent, which are nice words. And you may even understand what you're saying. It's nice information. But suddenly, it comes alive. This is my God. My God is transcendent and infinite and, 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 and holy and and Hashem creates the world, sustains the world, suddenly you feel it, you experience it, it comes alive to you personally. That's knowledge. That's prayer. That's the revelation that we experience. Hashem reveals himself in the times of prayer, a very special times. When Hashem reveals our soul, heavens are open, our souls are open to experience godliness. The face of Hashem. That's the face of Hashem, the internal, to internalize it, to connect with it personally. But the way to merit this is by first giving tzedakah. Enabling one to meditate on the greatness of God in order to beget thereby an intellectually generated awe and love as is known. As is known. How do I know that we truly have knowledge, that we've truly experienced and connected with the knowledge and personalize it? If it leads to a love, if it leads to an emotion, a genuine love. Because when the knowledge is more than just information, it becomes experiential. It turns into conviction. It turns into something that's alive within you, something that motivates you, something that awakens you, something that inspires you. Suddenly you come alive. Then you feel a love, Hashem. And you feel a sense of awe, Hashem's presence. That's the, that's the acid test. Das is the connector. What connects between the mind and the heart? Because there's a huge, there's a, there's a problem. We have a huge problem to get from the mind to the heart. The problem is we have a, what's called a, uh, a bottleneck. It's like going to the Hamptons on a Friday. <laughs> it's a one lane, one lane highway. The, little, the neck in between doesn't let anything through. It's, it's standing, there's traffic, is standing, no one's going. You have all this information in the head, but somehow it doesn't, it doesn't reach the destination. It doesn't get to the heart. The heart wants to receive it. It's like, it leaves us cold, it leaves us indifferent. We have all this interesting information, and, but we're not inspired, we're not moved. There's no love, there's no feeling, there's no connection, attraction. So that's, that is the connector. When the information becomes personalized and internalized, that leads to a love which motivates you to do, to action. Now, you want to grab, uh, you want to study Torah, you want to do a mitzvah, you want to... You're alive. You come alive as a Jew. You want to, not just dead and mechanical and square and superficial. It becomes, becomes a joyful, passionate, living, breathing reality. Love your fellow Jew like yourself and love Hashem, a love of Torah. All these loves become activated and real. And then you meet a real living person, a live person versus a machine, a robot, a mechanic, 
who's just following, but he's dead. There's no heart, there's no soul, there's no light, there's no illumination, there's no joy, there's no lightness. It's very heavy and very harsh and very disconnected. So this is prayer. This is the power of prayer. This is what we want in prayer. This is when we know we had a good davening. You know, Hasidim, especially Chabad Hasidim, were known for their prayer. Because this is what they aspired to. This was the goal. All the learning and all the studying was wonderful. But to process all that learning and to internalize all that learning, you need prayer. Otherwise, it's completely disconnected. So what's the point? I'm brilliant, so what? But what, what is, is, my show, is my soul sparkling? My soul should be brilliant, sparkling, a sparkling diamond. What does it help me? My mind is brilliant, but it's like the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe once saw a locomotive in his days, you know, they created this, the, this, the, the steam engine, so the, the locomotives, so he saw, you know, these huge row of cars, of trains, and the locomotive somehow got detached from the whole car of trains. The locomotive is steaming ahead and making noise and fifing and it's rushing ahead, but it's not pulling anything behind it. It's not schlepping. The mind is like a, a locomotive. The mind could be like a locomotive. The mind is rushing ahead. We know so much and we learn so much, but the rest of the body stays behind. It's, it's not moved. There's no movement forward. There's no, you're not going anywhere. You're not changing. You're not growing. You're not... It has, you have to have that connection. And that's that, that's that connection. So that's the revelation that Hashem reveals in our consciousness when we're able to consciously connect with Hashem and experience it, then it leads to a love for Hashem, as is known. And through this, uh, the good is extracted from God and elevated to Him, and the evil is separated. So this is how you separate, this is how you make peace between the good and evil. You make peace by good and evil by separating the good from the evil distinguishing good from the evil. And then the evil falls by the wayside and the good rises to the top, to the fore, forefront. So when you have a godly revelation, it's like a magnet, it draws out, like a beacon of light that all the light is drawn towards the godliness and then the evil just falls by the wayside because evil has no life of its own. It's just, it's just a shell, it's a bloodsucker. It could only, if, the, if it doesn't have any good to hold on to, to latch on to, then it, it just has no life. It's dead. It has no life of its own. That's how you create peace. When you separate the good from the evil. How do you separate the good from the evil? When within us we're so conflicted and so confused and we discussed the other week every part of it has good and evil together, mixed together. How do you separate the two? Through this light. When you have this light, this godly light, that extracts, br brings out all the good within us and all the evil falls, falls by the wayside. In Mishle, it says in Mishle, in Proverbs. The crucible is for refining silver and the melting pot is for gold. And man is refined according to his brain. So he's going to explain what this verse means, that this is the story of our life. Hashem puts us through... It's like putting gold through the fire. What happens when you pull, put gold through the fire? The fire separates the gold from the dross, from the garbage. When you heat it up together, everything is mixed together. The gold, the, the, the earth, the dust, the dirt, everything is together. But when you put it in the furnace, in the fire, the gold becomes purified, 
and the, the dross just falls, falls by the wayside. So he says, every person according to his praise. What does it mean according to his praise? According to his level of understanding of Hashem. The deeper he gets into the prayer, and the more he appreciates godliness, and the more he praises godliness, and the more he understands and experiences godliness, the deeper it is, the more the light, and therefore the more there'll be the clarification. The negativity will just fall, fall by the wayside. So people who don't have the experience of prayer, the sad part is that they can't even distinguish between good and evil. We've reached a point today where people don't even, can't even distinguish between good and evil. Bright, brilliant people, products of the universities, the best Ivy League colleges, universities the world has to offer. And yet, they don't even have the capacity to distinguish in good and evil. They accused the Jew, attacked the Jew. The Jew suddenly became, in their eyes, the Jew is no good. And the worst of the worst, terrorists, murderers, mothers who send their children off to blow themselves up and blow up men, women, and children. And suddenly, they, all they can see is good, sympathetic, only kind things to say about them. And the Jew became the enemy. In other words, you lose. You don't even have the capacity anymore to distinguish what's right and what's I mean, they make the worst Jew in the world look like a saint by comparison. Instead of seeing and distinguishing between good and appreciating good, it's really a commentary on the person, on the critic. You know, there was once a, uh, in the Louvre, in Paris, so the, uh, the curator was giving a tour, and there was one nudnik in the group. And she kept on commenting on every picture, you know, classics, world classics, world famous classics. You know, I don't like this painting, this is no good. Nah, <laughs> this is... Anyway, he was plotting, he couldn't take it, but you know, he kept it, he was very polite. The customer's always right, keep on smiling. Then she came, they came to the Mona Lisa. <laughs> and she started criticizing the Mona Lisa. Okay, this, he, uh, that's it. <laughs> I don't care if you never show up again, if you never write a check again, I don't want to see you again. He says, Madame. <laughs> When you're criticizing the Mona Lisa, you're not criticizing the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa's criticizing you. What you say about the Mona Lisa tells us everything we need to know about you. You're a maven on art. Go back to the, to the pre- provincial place that you came, go under the rock that you came from, and, and you have no connection to art. You don't know what art, you don't know what to begin, beginning, middle, or end. And don't open your mouth again about, and say anything about art. The same is with the critics of the Jewish people. Anyone who can criticize, anyone who can't distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong, truth and false, who are the good guys here and who are the bad guys? Hamas sends 10,000 missiles against men, women and children and he's criticizing Israel, the Jews, instead of criticizing these murderers and those who fund them and support them? Sorry. You are the one who are being criticized. You are the one who are revealing, exposing you get total bankruptcy. You don't know the difference anymore between right and wrong. If goodness stared in your face, you wouldn't even be able to distinguish it. You wouldn't even know where it begins in the beginning or the middle or the end. Go back to the rock. Crawl back under the rock where you came from. Because you are hard, are 
absolutely evil. You have no clue what's right and what's good and what's decent and what's correct and what's moral and what's ethical and what's spiritual and what's genuine. So a person who has no connection to godliness, a person who has no connection to truth, a person who has no prayer in his life, no humility in his life, no faith, no connection to something real, to something greater than himself. And all he does is he worships himself and he reads his own press releases and, and he constantly quotes himself and, uh, and uh, worships his own mind. Go back to the crack, crawl under the rock where you came from. What, what, what do you know about morality, about ethics, about spirituality, about good, about truth? You're so clueless. You can't even distinguish anymore between good and evil, right and wrong. So the more clarity we have, the more we praise Hashem, the, the deeper our understanding, the more penetrating our understanding of truth and godliness and holiness and, and Hashem, and the more we connect with it experientially and consciously, the more clarity we have, the more we're able to distinguish what is right and what is truth and what is the opposite, what is good and what is evil. And then the evil just falls by the wayside. Because... You know, it's, it becomes so clear, crystal clear. It actually sounds like a very theoretical concept to ex- the experiential connecting with God. What is that other than prayer? Well, you know, we all, thank God, have it occasionally. Right. Sometimes it's just by the grace of Hashem. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just wake up and we can't explain it. We just feel connected, <coughs> connected to the universe. We feel at peace inside. You smell the roses, you see the sun, you, you feel life is a miracle, life is beautiful, people are beautiful, look at the world. It lasts for a minute and a half. <laughs> and, and then our worries come right back like a ton of bricks, and we forget, quickly forget. But we have those moments of grace. Sometimes it could happen in the middle of, out of, out of the blue. Suddenly we feel inspired, we feel we want to do something good, we want to do something holy, we want to do something godly. On Yom Kippur, what, what do you think drew, drew so many Jews to Shul on Yom Kippur? If they don't go to Shul all year round, why am I suddenly showing up on Yom Kippur? You can't explain it, but something draws you. It's such a holy day, I have to connect. There are moments, you're standing at the Western Wall, the day you get married, there are moments that you just feel something that's inexplicable. It's beyond words. God forbid sometimes, and tragedy also. Tragedy strikes. It, it, you, 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 it takes you to a whole different level of experience, a whole different level of living that ordinarily we don't, unconsciously at least, we don't uh, encounter that. But through effort, through moments of prayer, the time of prayer is a very propitious time. The heavens are open, our soul is open. If you put in the effort and you give the tzedakah before, and you study a little Torah before, and you use the time of prayer to really study chasidut and reflect on it and meditate on it and try to get into it, Hashem will help us. And then we get a glimpse. But on holidays we feel it. We're sitting at the Seder, the Passover Seder. There are moments that we feel, feel connected. Uh, it's a mystical experience. It's a godly experience. You know, it's hard to describe, but when you experience it, you know it. <laughs> it it's there, and we all have it. So we get taste of it. But once you get a taste of it, you, you want to have more and more of it. You try to have it as much as possible, at least once a day when you pray, at least once a week. But you yearn for it because that's what gives you the clarity. When you have that experience, then you can separate the good from the bad. You're able to see 
what's right and what's wrong, because otherwise it's so confusing. And if you, but if you don't have God in your life at all, then you don't even stand a chance. You don't know what up is, you don't know what down is, you don't know what good is, you don't know what evil is, you don't know what... Conf- pe- war becomes peace. <laughs> evil becomes good, good becomes evil. I, it's an upside-down world. You read the New York Times and you wonder if they're standing on their heads. The world is upside down. Everything is upside down. Everything is distorted and crooked. And nothing is... But when you, you totally remove, when you're so arrogant, and you totally remove Hashem from your life, you, you don't even begin. You, don't, you, can't, you can't even climb out of Plato's proverbial cave. You're so in the dark cave. You're so in the deep, dark dungeon and cave. You don't even know that there's a way out. You don't even know that... The, you don't even what's up and what's down and what's he's so lost because everything is so confused everything is so confused that's the world that we live in a lot of confusion we don't know where the good begins and the evil ends and, and, and we have that inner confusion as well every one of us how do we clarify how do we get out of that confusion how do we clarify it so the verse says King Solomon the wisest of all men says in Proverbs that that it's like putting prayers at time, it's like putting the gold and the silver which is mixed with the dross, but by putting into the furnace, that you can, then you can separate the good, you can purify the gold, and the dross will fall by the wayside, and it all depends, every person according to his praise. Explain. This means... This means according to his praise, God, during prayer with profound knowledge, in order to negate all in love, in this way, the good is extracted and the evil is separated. <coughs> Just as draws is separated from silver and gold in a crucible or melting pot. So if you have heat and you have light, then, then you're able to separate the good from the bad. When a person is low, you don't even know, realize how low you are, how coarse you are. But the moment you're elevated, even a little, Suddenly you look back and you realize how coarse and crass and inappropriate certain behavior is. A person who is crass doesn't realize how crass he is, how inappropriate he is, how, how vulgar or disgusting. But the moment you elevate yourself up a little, then it's like a, chi- a child can roll in the, in the mud. It doesn't bother you. But the moment you grow up a little, it bothers you. You're dirty. You, you, you know, it bothers you. A little dirt, you're ready, you're ready running to the shower three times a day. A little dirt, you're ready. You can't take it. As a child, it doesn't matter. Because when you're not mature, you're not conscious, you can be rolling in the mud. And it doesn't bother you. You can, be, you can smell, and you can be in the mud, and it's vulgar, and, and no, no one could be around you. But it doesn't bother you. But the moment you're a little refined, the moment you're a little elevated, suddenly... The small, it bothers you. You realize this is no good. It's like a white suit. The smallest stain will show up. A black suit. You can pour ketchup in it. No one will tell the difference. <laughs> the more refined a person is, according to his praise, according to his deep understanding of Hashem, the more elevated he is, the more in the fire and the heat, and the more closer he gets, to con- the more connected he is, then you can tell, you know, and then it suddenly starts bothering you, and then you separate yourself. This is no good. This is not appropriate behavior. There's an expression in Yiddish. 
there are certain things that maybe it's not black and white. You can't say in the, can't, you're not allowed to do it. But there's an expression in Yiddish, it's pasnisht. It's pasnisht. It's not fitting. Of course, legally, technically, I can't take you to a court of law, you didn't violate anything. But for someone like you, it's pasnisht, it's not fitting. You know, for, for a five-year-old child, it's fitting. But uh, you, for an adult, it's just not fitting. You know, you don't act this way. Did I do anything wrong? No. But So the more elevated you are, the more mature you are, the more connected you are, then certain behaviors you're able to separate. The more you're able to separate between what's good and what's really good, and what's nonsense and, and no good. And, 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 you, and you, just, you, just, you just throw it off. It just falls by the wayside. The dross just falls by the wayside and you're left with the pure gold. So whatever you put in, it all depends on us. Whatever we put in, the effort we put in, according to how we deep, we go deeply into the matter and we meditate deeply, and we, the more effort we put in, the more the result, the greater the result. The more godliness we'll experience. Okay, and now, now he's going back to what we discussed earlier that he's going to explain that the Jewish people by nature are very generous. This is borne out by statistics. The Jewish people are disproportionately represented in all of the charities in America, across the board. Whether it's Save the Whales or whatever it is. <laughs> the Jews are there. It's very charitable. In proportion to our percentage of the population, it's completely disproportionate. That's our nature. By nature, Jews, by na- it's a second nature to us. This is our nature. We're kind and a compa- compassionate people. It's our signature. Yudim Rachmanim, Baishanim, Gomle Chasadim. A Jew by nature is kind. It's, it's no fault of our own. We're just born that way. We're born with this nature. We're the children of Avram, Avram and Sarah, who are kind. Abraham and Sarah, so it's etched into our being. This is who we are. This is our nature, our predominant nature. Prevailing nature is kindness, goodness. Look at Israel. Israel is the first one to help. Anywhere in the world is a disaster. In Haiti, we were there before America. <laughs> we even offered to help Iran when Iran a few years ago had these devastating earthquakes. Israel offered help because unfortunately because of their terrorism we have the most experience in the world that to extract people from buildings and bombed out buildings they, they, but they hated the Jews so much they said we would rather die than take the help of, of, of the Jews but it's just our nature can you imagine you want to help your enemy even now the daughter of uh, Ania, Anaya, the, the head of Hamas Israel took in <laughs> the daughter saved her life in the hospital the head of Hamas was busy bombing. And we're just such a kind, compassionate people. And at war. At war, during the war. War and then before bombing. Right. So, right, is any, there's no army in the world. Any, the armies were astonished. There's no army in the history of the world that would do what Israel did. So by nature, we're the most kind, with the kindest, the most compassionate people in the face. Anyone who's objective, who's honest, will acknowledge it. It's a fact. We're not talking about the anti-Semites and our sworn enemies and the, the Hitlers and the, the Nazis. 
or the Arab Nazis or the Western Nazis of the world today, the BDS movement, the Western version of Nazism today. We're not talking about our sworn enemies. We're talking about anyone who's honest and objective acknowledges that Jewish people are the kindest, most compassionate people in the face of it. It's just our nature. We can't even help it. It's just, it's just who we are. That's why Jews are so liberal. Jews, because by nature we're kind. By nature we're, we're just compassionate. We have empathy with the other person, and compassionate and kind and good. Now it is well known that Jews, by their very nature, act compassionately and perform deeds of loving kindness. This is so because their souls issue from God's attributes, in which chesed prevails over the attribute of deen, before and tibso. As it is written, his chesed prevails over those who fear him, alluding to the fact that the divine attribute of chesed prevails over the divine attribute of Torah. So just like within a person, the right hand, which represents kindness, is stronger than the left hand. The majority of people. I'm not talking about lefties, but the majority of people, the right hand is a stronger hand. Because kindness, love, in the language of the Zohar, chesed the ozil im yoimen. Kindness, love, is the predominant emotion. And it accompanies even the other emotions. Even the emotion of fear and awe. Because of hate, because you don't, who do you hate? You only hate someone that you love. <laughs> Someone you don't care about, you're indifferent, you don't hate. So love is the prevailing emotion. If I have a feeling towards the other person, that leads to all the emotions. So love is the prevailing and predominant emotion. And that's the stronger arm. So Hashem, Hashem's chesed is stronger and is overwhelms and is stronger than the awe and the fear. So since the Jewish people, we are created in the image of Hashem, our soul is created in the image of Hashem, as he explained in the Tanya, in the first part of the Tanya, chapter 3, lessons in Tanya.com, that, <laughs> that the soul, why do we have ten faculties in the soul? Because we're created in the image of God, the ten sfirot, we uh, are a reflection of the divine attributes, the ten divine attributes, emanations, so God's kindness, so we are rooted in God's kindness, since God's kindness is the prevailing attribute. So therefore, so too with us, we reflect that, that that is our prevailing attribute, kindness and goodness and gentleness. That's our nature. Of course, you can always choose to go against your nature. You always have freedom of choice. We're not saying that every Jew is kind. Uh, we can choose to go against our nature. You can violently oppose your nature. You can choose to act as you please. But by nature, instinctively, we have that instinct. We have that gene, that kindness gene, that kindness inclination towards kindness and goodness. The soul is therefore called daughter of the priest, since it is derived from the attribute of chesed, which is called kohen, as it is written in the sacred Zohar. Since the soul derives from the divine attributes, are dominated by kindness and compassion. Jews, by their very nature, are The difference between the Kohen and the Levi, do we have any Kohen in the room? We have a Levi here, any daughter of a Kohen? So Kohen is Isha Chesed. Kohen is a man of kindness. That's why the Kohen does the priestly blessing. The blessing he makes, you should bless the Jewish people, be Ahava, with love. Because that's the priest. The priest is kindness, looks at everyone with a kind eye. That's why the priest is the one who heals the leper, the Metzorah. He's the healer. He's a spiritual doctor because he looks at everyone with a kind eye. The Levi, 
the one who plays the music, who sings, that represents the attribute of fire, of strength, of intensity, of sacrifice, of, of um, the exact opposite of Isha Chesed. In other words, the Kohen's job is to make everyone feel comfortable, <laughs> make everyone feel loved. The Levi's job is here to wake everyone up, to disturb everyone from their sleep, to, to shake them up. When you hear a song, it shakes you up, it, it, it wakes you up, it, 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 it demands of you. The Chesed is like water, gentle. Water, water connects, it's soothing, Versus fire, Gevura is fire, Gevura breaks apart, Gevura is energy, Gevura releases the energy from within, it burns the material, it changes you, it, you have to change, it demands change of you, it demands something material and turns it into something spiritual, take the material and turn it into fire, into energy. That song, song you're trying, you're aspiring, you want to get out of yourself, you want to you aspire to go higher, to get beyond your ego, that's what song is really all about. Versus Koyan is love. It fills you with love. It's, it's a light. It, it, it's Aaron HaKohen, the ultimate Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, brought everyone near with love. He hugged everyone. He embraced everyone. He, he lit the candles. It was all about light and love and goodness and kindness. So the daughter of a Kohen, the Zohar says, this refers to the soul, the Jewish soul. The Jewish soul is referred to the daughter of a Kohen. Because we are the daughter of the attribute of Kohen, of the attribute of love, of kindness. Before the giving of the Torah, God tells Moshe, the Jewish people of Atan Mamlechet Kohanim, you're going to be a nation, a kingdom of priests. Because every Jew, in the spiritual sense, is a Kohen. We're a daughter of a Kohen, we have that quality of kindness, of love, of goodness. Just like Hashem lights up the world, Hashem creates the world out of His love and His kindness. So too, we too, in turn, also, we have that attribute of kindness, of finding the good in every, every one of Hashem's creatures. And so that's our nature. Now the charity that issues from, is from this source, from the soul's inherently kind and compassionate nature, is infer us to the act of charity. This is called in Hebrew, we call it Masei Hatzedakah. Why is it called the act of charity? Continue. For the term act, Masay applies to that which is already done, or which is constantly being done spontaneously. Thus, something existent, common and constant. Okay, so that's why Maisa Tzedakah means it's already done. It's an act of Tzedakah. It's a done deal. It's already, it's a constant thing. It's an act that's set into motion. That's the act of Tzedakah. And that refers to the Jewish nature of kindness. We have a tzedakah, an instinct of tzedakah that's embedded in us, that's ingrained in us, that's etched into our being. It's done. It's not something you have to create. It's not something you have to, it's not a project. Let's become kind. Let's become generous. Let's, it's, it's already done. You're already kind, you're already generous. You just have to activate it. It's constantly activated and just revealing what's already there. That's all. You're not creating anything new. You know, it's not the Columbus, he discovered America. This is uh, 3,800 years. It's already an old story. It's going on for 3,800 years without any interruption. Jewish kindness, Jewish generosity, Jewish hospitality. This is a, an ongoing story. Um, Putin, the, the head of Russia, he, uh, at the opening of the Marina Russia Shul, the huge shul that they built, 
in Moscow. So he told the story. He was a child. Why he has a fondness to the Jewish people. He's very nice and very kind to the Jewish community in Russia. I don't know about his relations with Israel, his, his diplomacy with Israel, but the Russian Jewry, he's amazing to the, to the Russian Jews. He, all the cities all over Russia, he returned to synagogues and returned to schools. And he's just very helpful and a friend. And openly, and, I, and he told a story. He came to the opening of this huge synagogue. And, uh, and recently, we were there last summer, they just finished building a museum, a Jewish museum right across the shul that would put all the Jewish museums here to shame. $75 million. But he himself gave, I believe he himself gave serious money. And when the president gives money, you know, in Russia it's not an option. <laughs> it means he expects everyone else to give. No, there's, no, there's no mortgage. Seventy-five million, all raised, done. And they built one of the most beautiful Jewish museums in the world. So he told his story. He said, when he was a child, why he has this fondness for the Jewish people? He was a child. I think he was the only child. His parents were working, you know, communists or whatever, were working, whatever. And when he came home from school, they were never home. And upstairs, there lived this Jewish couple. And they would always invite him in. He was alone, a kid running around by himself, no family. The parents were busy. Well, you hide him in, give him some uh, milk and, and cookies. And especially, he loved Friday night. Friday night, they would come, <laughs> give him chicken soup, give him a little bit of filter fish. And that kindness stayed with him for the rest of his life. He became a KGB, the head of KGB, the head of Russia. You can imagine, it's not exactly, you know. But, but an act of kindness as a child, and that was it. For the rest of his life, as rough and as tough as he is, but Jews, he has a soft spot, that's it. Because of that kindness. They didn't know that he's going to be the future president. There was a kid running around, uh, nobody. But that's our nature, it's our instinct. You know, you see a kid running around, you, what can I do to help? It's 3,800 years. This is an ongoing story. There's nothing new. This is my Satsadak. It's already done. It's already... And it's just a question of, 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 of revealing it. Here, too, with regards to Sadaka that is motivated by the soul's innate sense of kindness and compassion, the trait of kindness and compassion is planted in the souls of the entire house of Israel for a, for a fourth time. From the time that they were created and that, that they evolved from God's attributes, as it is written in regards to Adam's soul entering his body, and he blew into his nostrils the soul of life. Concerning to the entry of each and every soul into the individual's body, it, you blew it into me. And he who blows, blows from within him, from his innermost being. So too in the unalone, since the soul emanates from the inward, from the inward aspect of the divine, divine attributes, it is infused with them as well, so that the attribute of kindness dominates the soul even as he finds itself within the body. So as we learned in the, second, in the third part of the Tanya, in the letter of Teshuvah, the difference how man was created versus all other creatures, all other creatures were created, God said, and it came into being. Hu amar vayehi, he said, and it came. But with Adam, primordial man, Hashem blew into his nostrils, not through speech, by blowing into his nostrils. So the breath itself constitutes his soul. 
It's not like the king says and something happens. Firstly, it's speech. Speech is external. When you blow, you blow from within. I can speak and speak and speak, but you, can't, you have to stop blowing. You hear, you know, you, 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 it's your breath. It's your inner breath. It's your life. And there I spoke and it came into being. Here, the breath itself constitutes his soul. So man, and later on it refers to the Jewish soul, comes from the inner part of Hashem. Versus even the angels were created through God's speech. High levels of consciousness, angelic beings, it's all through God's speech. But the soul, which is a piece of Hashem, comes from God's breath, comes from within. So just like from within, God's divine attributes, God from within, it's His kindness, is, that's the predominant and prevailing divine attribute, so too, the Jewish soul, which comes from within, which is God's breath, also, that is our instinct, that is our, our prevailing, prevailing attribute. Furthermore, in His goodness, Hashem renews the act, Massah, of creation every single day, and this includes the supernal attributes. Likewise, with regard to souls below, it is written, they are new every morning. Act, Masah, Maseh, thus refers to the constant process such as the renewal of the soul with its characteristic traits of kindness and compassion. The act of tzedakah hence refers to the tzedakah which a Jew practices by virtue of these innate character traits. So he's saying here, and also Hashem creates the world every day. It's an act of kindness. Creation, existence, the sun rises again. Hashem has so much reason to be angry. <laughs> what happened yesterday, what happened the day before, and yet every day, a brand new start, fresh. He wakes us up. He gives us back our souls. Every day we hand him our souls, tired, exhausted. We owe him. And yet he returns our soul. Does he have to return the soul? If someone owes you a lot of money and he gives you, he gives you his suit or he gives you something to hold, you're going you're gonna to return it to him? No, I'm going to take it as a, as a collateral, as a mashkon. You owe me money, why should I give it to you? So God has every right to hold, uh, hold our souls. Yet every day he turns our soul fresh, a new beginning, energized. So Hashem is kind. Every day is an act of kindness. The sun shines again, a new day, light. Hashem is recreating the world, a new beginning. So the whole world is based on kindness. Hashem is it's a constant, every daily act. So too, the Jews, rooted and connected within Hashem's inner attributes, also has like this constant urge and need to do kindness and to do good and to want to do good and to seek out to do good. So this is a constant, this is the story of our lives. There's nothing new here. It's the story of our lives from day one, from the beginning, from the moment we're born. It's an instinct, and it's something that we exercise every day of our lives. Every day we do something good. Many of you may remember our grandmothers used to nail in the wall a pushka in the kitchen. And before they went to eat, breakfast, lunch, or supper, they would put a penny in the stock. I'm feeding myself. Thank God I have food. I remember, you know, there's a Jew, maybe there's a person who's so poor, struggling to buy a piece of bread. Let me take care of it. It's so ingrained in us, to tzedakah. I think I take care of myself. Wait a minute. Let me think of there's someone else. This is, this is my tzedakah, the act of tzedakah. It's, an, it's, it's something that we're constantly, it's an act, we're continuously acting on, we're continuously activating, it's continuously there, it's with us, it's part of our life, it's, it's ingrained in us. 
So when a Jew gives this type of tzedakah, it's already done. It's already a done deal. It's just, there's no surprises here. It's, it's expected almost. Versus a higher level of tzedakah, and that we're going to learn next week, and please God, we'll finish the, the letter next week. There's a higher level of tzedakah, which he calls avodata tzedakah, the service of tzedakah, which is a whole different category, a whole different level of tzedakah. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.